As one of America's largest financial services companies, Nationwide makes simplicity a priority so financial professionals can help their clients achieve their retirement goals. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Welcome to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. I'm Tom Keen, along with Jonathan Farrell and Lisa Abramowitz. Daily, we bring you insight from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. Find Bloomberg Surveillance on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on the Bloomberg Terminal. Christian Miller-Glissman, Managing Director of for Portfolio Strategy at Goldman Sachs. And Christian, I want to start in Damien's specialty in the developing world, because overnight, the lockdowns in Beijing, the first lockdown in the capital of China, to me, is a really significant story that changes potentially the narrative for next year. How do you view that, uh, that story in light of some of the optimism around China's reopening? Oh, I make a great point. I think if you if you think about like uh, outlook for next year, um, like China was one of those bright spots because um, there's asymmetry. The economy is in its knees um, for clear reasons, like asset prices and in in, in very bearish um, kind of territory. So it felt like um, there is a story that's emerging that can, to some extent, support next year and and drive growth acceleration, drive that trough in economic activity. But I think what we're learning, and I think what our economists have been saying as well, it's going to be incredibly bumpy. I think the end uh, game is that China will probably, by uh, second half of next year, accelerate with regards to growth helped by the reopening. But the path to that could be incredibly bumpy. And the real reopening, we always thought uh, would, would occur kind of around Q2. And as you see those cases go up, uh, you could say that, um, yeah, the risk is definitely that it's being pushed further out. But Christian, how does this affect, right, the different parameters, if it reopens, if it doesn't, the bumpiness that you see? Uh, is it bullish if they reopen, if that means incredible demand suddenly coming online for energy and for commodities generally at a time when that's one of the main drivers of disinflation right now? Yeah, and you, uh, you highlight one of the big dissonances, like one of the big kind of um, negative cycles there. I think right now, as you know, oil prices have um, kind of come down significantly, like curves are in the front end a bit in contango. So I think you're dealing currently with a setup where there's a bit of a buffer, but you're absolutely right. There is definitely a chance of a replay of um, headline inflation um, volatility next year, which then feeds a bit into rates and, 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 and to some extent... Uh, kind of can drive um, also spillovers to risky assets. But I think at this juncture, this full reopening, as I mentioned, is, is to us more of an H2 story. I think in the near term, it, it seems to be more of a drag on oil than anything. But it does highlight something which you mentioned. Um, I think to me, risk premium um, in the last month have significantly come down across the board on China assets, but also on global cyclical assets on China-exposed companies in Europe. Um, uh, and it just feels like there's not that many good growth stories to go on. The market has embraced it very quickly. Partially, that has contributed to a bit of a false start 
in in kind of relief um, on on the growth side, and and it could very quickly uh, reverse to some extent if 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 that doesn't prove to be the case. Well, let's just crystallize that. I mean, a bit of relief. I mean, we saw a twenty two percent increase in the Hang Seng China Enterprises Index since you know October, but we're still down twenty seven percent year to date. Talk to me. I think investors are realizing, myself included, that you just can't have zero exposure to emerging markets in China, right? So my question for you is, you know. What is the best way to get that China exposure? What is the best way to play the reopening narrative in China? You make a great point there because it's it's been really difficult um, for international investors from a strategic point of view um, to 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 get excited about China and and there's a concern with regards to how um, investors will benefit from from China economic growth in the coming years. There's been a concern with regards to obviously zero COVID. Um, and and at the same time, you have this reopening story. The reopening story, if you follow um, the the kind of template from developed markets, should be very good for domestic consumer cyclicals, services sectors, and and it's not easy to get exposure to that um, via the headline indices. Our team generally have become quite a bit more constructive. The whole North Asia complex which they think will be pulled along. Um, so you can diversify to some extent, um, just being in China with maybe being a bit more in Korea, uh, being a bit more in Taiwan. Um, but but in the end, if you really want to uh, kind of go directly exposed to um, the reopening, you need to go potentially much more on specific sectors, specific stocks, and it becomes much more of an alpha theme. So our strategy team, they've created a basket for that, which clearly um, for a lot of the asset allocators I speak to, um, that, that becomes too specific. Christian, I could talk South Korea and Taiwan with you all day, but let's shift back to the U.S. here for a minute. I mean, look, there's been a lot of talk, no recession, shallow recession. I think markets are pretty much coming to terms with the fact that growth will indeed be slower next year in the U.S. Meanwhile, you know, inflation, while it is expected to come off, it's going to be above pre-COVID levels, I think, for some time. So in a world of slower growth and inflation, you know, kind of remaining elevated, you know, what fixed income asset classes are best positioned to outperform? Yeah, I mean, especially after what I mentioned, this this risk premium contraction. I mean, you've seen a remarkable um, uh, tightening in credit spreads, um, even down in quality. Um, it just tells me that you need to be up in quality yeah. into next year. I think generally we feel that next year, you you know, you 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 spoke about this earlier. This year, a lot of the the fear was about peak hawkishness and very high rates volatility. And I think next year will be more about growth volatility. I think rates volatility will will, will normalize um, just by extension of of central banks slowing the pace of hiking, and 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 that just means that. Um, you're shifting a bit towards solvency risk and you're shifting towards strength of balance sheet. Um, and this year, as you know, um, uh, you have had very little cash flow risk, very little cash flow shocks. And, and next year, you will probably see more of those, which means at this juncture with the type of risk premium you're getting to move um, up the risk curve, we feel up in quality, investment grade credit is where we would be. Um, and, and there's opportunities there to, to kind of harvest more attractive yield to volatility ratios. So for example, uh, mortgage-backed securities, they benefit a lot from um, a decline in rates volatility is a relatively low risk asset. So we'd rather be in these places um, until we get a bit more rebuild in risk premium, which we expect could be in the Q1 um, uh, next year. Rebuild in risk premium is such a nice way of say, saying high-yield bonds selling off. Christian Miller-Glissman of <laughs> Goldman Sachs, thank you so much for being with us. Nobody ever says, make it complicated. That is why Nationwide makes simplicity a priority. 
by providing financial professionals with straightforward, client-ready resources. From clear strategies to help clients meet retirement savings and income needs to ways to cover rising health care costs and more. Nationwide simplifies planning so more time can be spent helping clients. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Joining us now is somebody who thought that it was going to be a gray day. He thought, you know, <laughs> I might as well join them because it's going to be so gray here. And instead, he's uh, sequestered in a corner because it's so bright in his room. Kit Jukes, <laughs> Chief FX Strategist at Societe Generale. Thank you so much for being with us, Kit. You talk about that it's not a Black Friday so much as a gray one. Not perhaps in your room, but generally. How so? Well, it, it's a day when, you know, I'm not sure there's that much optimism around in the global economy this morning. And I'm not sure that there's... Um, you know, much going on, but but it is this sense of, you know, even in the U.S., a slowing economy across Europe. I mean, it's, you know, how do you go running out on all these um, cheap prices to buy things when you're worried about energy costs, worried about mortgage payments, and, and so on. So, you know, the global economy is is, is clearly slowing, and, and that's the backdrop. The, the shocker, you mentioned it, but it's how much yields have fallen, how much the market has priced back Fed expectations since. Jay Powell gave that press conference and told us the, that rates had to be higher for longer than the market was pricing just then. And we know, so we are, we are just definitely um, giving the birth to a central bank collectively because we think the global economy is fine. Well, but Kit, this is really confusing, especially because in those meeting minutes, essentially Fed officials said that they expect recession as almost as likely as their base case. This is as close to capitulation from a central bank that, yes, there is going to be a downturn. And yes, we are going to keep rates high in order to curtail inflation, even if that does become the base case. Do you think that hasn't got enough attention? Um. I think it gets attention. I think here's the difficulty with this cycle, and it's probably true pretty much everywhere, is that in most major economies, we're going into a downturn at full employment. And, um, you know, if, if, the last, if the last big recession was this time is different, this is different all over again differently. I, I can't remember a time when you have full employment into slowdowns and probably through quite a long time. So, so the, the, the battle is between central bankers and how much they think they need to tighten and for how long to cool the labor market at the same time as they can see economies weakening significantly. Different sides of the Atlantic, you have a slightly different take on it. But I think, I think that's, the, that's the piece. The central bankers are looking at slower, at slower data, and things, but they're looking at the labor market and thinking, how do I really get to grips with inflation without getting a higher unemployment rate? Kit, you know, it's a sleepy Friday here in November. And for me, you know, it's not always been that way. If you think about the year-end turn, if you think about cross-currency basis swap spreads, they've really behaved rather well, given all of the tightening and the liquidity pressure we would have expected to see into year-end. Are you surprised by any of this? Um, well, they were behaving so badly six weeks ago that everyone got themselves into a, into a state about them. And I think... Uh, and I think people started dealing with it very early. So we had a we had a longer lead through. I still worry that they'll come back in the last week of, of December and, and ruin my life. But 
That's just, that's what we're paid to do is to worry about things like that. But, you know, I, I think that what we made, that there's a possibility that, I mean, particularly in the foreign exchange market, that, you know, from the war in the Ukraine, the Fed hiking first, uh, the energy crisis, the fact that the U.S. benefits from terms of trade as the world's second biggest energy producer, never had that before in, a, in an energy crisis in, in modern times, that, that uh, all, all my clients have, have, you know, ridden the dollar rally for months and months, and, and by and large, that they, you know, let's close up the turn, let's shut everything down, let's quieten down and, um, and, and start getting ready for Christmas. Well, Kit, we're also seeing tentative signs of investors re-engaging with non-dollar asset classes here as we approach year-end. So I'm just going to ask, you know, the elephant in the room, has the dollar peaked? Uh, it's peaking. I think it's, for, for one of a description, it's not a Matterhorn peak, but a Dolomite's peak, if that works for Americans. But it's it's going to be a series of jagged peaks because... You know, the other elephant in the room, the, the, the crisis in Ukraine, can, you know, we're, we're all downplaying the tail risk from that. It can come back in a flash. You know, so we, we've, got, we've got things we can get concerned about. Clearly, if things escalate and, you know, things, things get worse in China, that can make us worried. Um, but, but yes, look, the dollar is going to be significantly weaker by the end of next year. We, we may see, I think there's a real chance that we may see the dollar quite a lot weaker by the end of this year and then stronger in January just to blow up every outlook piece that anybody wrote <laughs> um, just because positions come off. Kit, I'm glad that you talk about positioning. And I've got to say, when I was reading your note, I felt like it was pretty gloomy. And I thought, you know, OK, I wonder what your pushback is. I get accused of being gloomy all the time. How much do you buy into this argument that there's already so much gloom that there's no room to be gloomier, that stocks have to rally, that the dollar has to weaken just because people have already baked in all of the bare cases that could potentially happen? I, I, I hear that from from um, our equity people and our credit people. And for example, you know, uh, in, in the season of outlooks, if, if the first one I saw from anybody said, you know, next year is the year of yield, which sounds pretty gloomy if, if all you're supposed to do is to buy bonds. Um, the next, you know, the, the view that we would have is is that credit spreads look as if they're they're better able to cope with the kind of downturn we'll get than than equities in some ways, but that the equity problem is maybe more in small companies than big ones, which, you know, small ones which can't cope with the, the volatility we've had in, in sort of events that affect them. But yeah, I, I think there's a lot of there's a lot of negativity for for, for the way that this will play, play out priced in. I, I think in, in the foreign exchange market, part of it is, but I view it slightly differently. When when people start looking at a soft landing and they say, you know, growth's gonna slow, we're gonna manage soft landings, that seems likely the Fed's done soon. They sell the dollar because we get to the the, the ideal point of the smile where the ECB is still raising rates, the Fed's the Fed stopped where it's all priced in and so on. Uh, I, I still worry that the bigger problem could be later. Now, we, we don't think we're really going to get a recession in the United States till 2024. The danger with this labor market and with the Fed um, hiking the way they've been is, is that if, if the labor market's so tight in going into a recession, that the hammer that you need to break the nut of inflation might have to be hit really hard um, and, and you may get later, harder landings rather than earlier, softer ones. But kind of, so it may well be that you get, you know, equities do reasonably well in the first half of next year and then we have to rethink it. But uh, yeah, for now, everybody, everybody is believing that you can soft land the global economy despite this unique combination of zero unemployment at the beginning of a recession. Kit Jukes. Of a landing. Societe Generale, thank you so much for joining us, Kit. I hope you enjoy the beautiful sunshine outside, despite the <laughs> gloom of what we're talking about.
Claudia Saab, founder of Saab Consulting and former Federal Reserve economist. Claudia, thank you so much for being with us on this post-Thanksgiving Friday. How much are you looking to this holiday shopping season as a gauge of consumer spending? I'm really optimistic. Consumers have delivered this year. We have had a very steady pace in terms of overall spending. And the labor market is great. I worked at the Fed over a decade focusing on consumer spending, our forecast, our analysis. People, when they have income, they spend it. Americans have income, these jobs. It's true. Some of the spending now is going to be at the higher end. But you know what? Those people that work at Macy's, they need to keep their paychecks. They need people to come in and spend. I, we have everything for another good holiday season, even after inflation adjusted. So I, I see a really good path forward. And honestly, I'm not too worried about some of these businesses, the big businesses, taking a little bit less in profit. They've been doing pretty well. But you got to look big picture here. But Claudia, on the flip side, you could say that that resilience, that spending is exactly what's causing a problem for the Federal Reserve because it's the reason there's still momentum, the reason that inflation can last uh, longer than many of the lower income families can stand it. How does this really cohere with this idea that the Fed should be somewhat careful rather than just keep going with a sledgehammer? The Fed needs to back off. It is absolutely clear and has become clear over time. A lot of that inflation is coming from disruptions on the supply side, disruptions from COVID, disruptions from the war in Ukraine. We have seen a lot of encouraging signs, even in the last consumer price index numbers, that things are turning over. We're seeing things work themselves out. Yeah, it's going to take time to show up in consumer prices. For whatever reason, the Fed has decided they got to see it there, even though we see it in producer prices, import prices. Rents are turning over. Like We have all the signs that relief is coming to consumers. And if the Fed does too much, they're going to undo that relief and, and overdo it. Claudia, the SOM rule has been, uh, it's a widely regarded indicator of recession. You know this, you created it. Um, my colleagues at Bloomberg uh, Intelligence are calling for a 100% of probability of a recession in the U.S. over the next 12 months. What are your thoughts on that? So respectfully, I, I disagree with them. And, and frankly, as the data are coming in, particularly on the inflation side, I am more and more encouraged that we could skirt the recession. I think if we see one, it's almost absolutely going to be of a mild variety, at least given what we know right now. Right? Other bad things could happen and that forecast could change. But we have, again, there's a lot of encouraging signs. The labor market is good. You don't, the sound rule is based on the unemployment rate rising. And it's really not. Things look really good in the labor market. You know, we're getting back to a more normal, sustainable pace. So I don't I don't see it and less and less. I'm seeing it. But, you know, I have been wrong uh, multiple times. This economy is upside down and backwards. And we keep having really bad luck in terms of bad things happening in the world. You know, Claudia, you've also written extensively on Fed activity during periods of wartime. Right. And historically, what we've seen, like in World War Two, for example, you saw, you know, um, you know, basically the Fed not, you know, hiking rates as aggressively providing income support and the like. You know, we just saw, you know, roughly 70 percent of the power to Kiev knocked out in Ukraine yesterday. We know the difficulties that are going on on the ground there. What should the Fed be doing? Should they be paying attention? And how should, how should they be handling that? Congress should be stepping in. And the Federal Reserve is following their mandate. That's what they have to do. They are going to follow the letter of the law here. In wartime, you can look back to World War II, 
that was a time when the Fed worked closely with the Congress and Treasury told them, you are going to keep interest rates low. So financing the war doesn't cost American taxpayers even more than it has to. The independence of the Fed is not God given. It is Congress given. Now, that's a big step forward. And I know even talking about it is like, wow, a Fed economist is talking about, you know, putting independence temporarily on the side. I just I don't get it. I, I don't get why the Federal Reserve is pushing so hard. And I certainly don't understand the European Central Bank and the Bank of England. Like, this is making a very bad situation in Europe worse. Claudia Sam, thank you so much for being with us. Claudia Sam of Sam Consulting and former Federal Reserve economist. Nobody ever says make it complicated. That is why Nationwide makes simplicity a priority by providing financial professionals with straightforward, client-ready resources. From clear strategies to help clients meet retirement savings and income needs to ways to cover rising health care costs and more. Nationwide simplifies planning so more time can be spent helping clients. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Well, let's see uh, what's going on as we try to uh, go on the ground and Joe Feldman in his car going uh, from store to store, senior research analyst and assistant director of research over at Telsey. Joe, where are you right now? What are you seeing on the ground? Yeah, so I'm in uh, Westchester, New York, up in the near White Plains uh, and was just uh, going through a Best Buy. And so far this morning, it's fairly quiet out there. I don't think there's this massive rush to get in the store to grab a doorbuster. Well, how much moment. is this? How much is this, Joe? That we're just basically seeing the end of this. You know, you get in at four a.m. and you get the goods, and that's you know, see people line up. That that's over because of the online channels, because of the other areas of distribution. Yeah, I, I think that's absolutely right, Lisa. That you you are seeing maybe the end of that early morning rush that need to get in for a doorbuster. You know, just talking to some associates in one of the stores that I visited, and they were saying, yeah, there was no major rush. The prices are basically the same that you could have had all, all this past week uh, online uh, or even walking into the store earlier this week. So uh, I, I think that impetus or that, that push to get you in has maybe waned. But I'm very curious to see how traffic is this afternoon because I do think that, that people will come out, they want to get social, and we haven't had a real true Black Friday in a, a couple of years. Joe, you're 15 minutes from my home in Rybrook, New York, there on Central Ave in White Plains. How indicative, how representative is that Best Buy on Central Ave of, you know, what's going on across the nation? I actually think it's fairly representative. I mean, look, it's a nice, you know, um, you know, solid community, uh, middle, upper middle class community around here. Uh, people that are looking to buy and, and there's a, it's a very good retail area here in Westchester. And I do find that it has been fairly indicative. You know, when I speak to the people on my team who live all around the tri-state area, we have some around the country uh, in other cities. And we, we emailed this morning and everybody's kind of saying the same thing. It's fairly quiet so far. 
So, Joe, is it going to be, um, I mean, is it going to be, you know, electronics? Is it going to be, um, is it going to be big goods? Is it going to be, you know, durables? I mean, where do we see a lot of the sales? Where do we see a lot of the deals? Where do we see a lot of the promotions taking place here? Yeah, I think we're going to see a lot of promotions, certainly in electronics. We are seeing that TVs, uh, headphones, and uh, other giftable items. Uh, I think we're going to see special occasion wear has been hot lately, and I think that that uh, will continue. We've seen beauty. Even jewelry has been been decent. You know, I think people want to feel good and buy some things for themselves. Uh, that's areas where we, we may see some interest. Toys are always a big, big driver for the holiday season, but... Um, I, I think it's going to be much more focused on on value and the, the value you can get to in, in a in a gift for for members of your family or some friends. Value means it's discounted, right, Joe? I mean, this is basically what we're looking at, a pretty steep discounts at a time when there are huge inventories at a number of stores, particularly uh, those that overstocked. I'm thinking of Target. I'm thinking of a host of others, not necessarily Walmart, not necessarily Macy's. How much are you seeing the optimism in stock market, perhaps in the stock market, outweigh what you're seeing on the ground with all of the discounts that, 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 that uh, retailers are having to offer, plus the fact that they're trying to remain fully staffed and not lose people that they might not be able to rehire later? Yeah, I think there, there's a lot going on in the retail market right now. There is heavy inventory. There's a need to discount. What we've noticed is that the discounts are not that steep in, in the sense that 30 to 50 off is fairly common this time of year. And that's what we're seeing. You know, we're not seeing the, these very broad deep, you know, 40 to 60%, 50 to 60% discounts. Uh, you know, the retailers are definitely face, facing cost pressures and they're spending what they need to to keep the labor uh, force satisfied. And I think that we're going to continue to see that. We continue to hear that from a lot of others. The big question everybody has is really heading into next year, how much pressure we're going to see on the consumer. Uh, it, will we tip into a mild recession or a recession at all? It, it, in, and as long as the labor market is in pretty good shape, which it is right now, we're hopeful that things won't be so bad next year and that will hold up some spending levels. And then, you know, there is some room for optimism, certainly as you get deeper into 2023 when you face easier comparisons. Joe, you're talking about overall general numbers. How much are you starting to see a bifurcation of stores that cater to the lower ends do worse and those that still cater to the luxury end still uh, going strong? Yeah, we, the bifurcation is very clear out here right now where you are seeing, you know, the more affluent uh, consumer continuing to spend and those uh, stores are, are that cater to them are doing fairly well. Um, at the other end of it, there's a lot of focus on value. There's a lot of focus on food and consumables and basics, which is why companies like Walmart and the dollar stores and even Target, you know, are doing very well on the basic side of things. It's really the discretionary side at the low end has been the big pressure point. Uh, and that's where you could see some, some continued pressure this holiday season and into next year. Joe Feldman of Chelsea. Thank you so much, Joe Feldman. You'll be joining us throughout the morning. Happy Thank driving you. around to check it all out. Damien, I do wonder how much real estate falls into this. This is the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. Thanks for listening. Join us live weekdays from 7 to 10 a.m. Eastern on Bloomberg Radio and on Bloomberg Television each day from 6 to 9 a.m. for Insight from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. And subscribe to the Surveillance Podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on the Terminal.
I'm Tom Keen, and this is Bloomer. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.